0: Welcome to All Ears at Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss with the professionals who serve them. And now, to start the show.
1: Welcome to All Ears at Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss with the professionals who serve them. I'm Elise Sundberg, and I'm so excited for this conversation today.
0: And I'm Haley Gubbins. Today on the show, we talk to Melissa Hyder. Melissa is Child's Voices School Counselor who received her Bachelor's of Science at Cornerstone University in Education. Melissa also received her School Counselor Master's of Arts through Lewis University. She is currently getting her Learning Behavior Specialist 1 certificate through Lewis University, and she is a certified children's yoga instructor. In addition to these wonderful accomplishments listed above, Melissa is a mom to three kids, two of which who have hearing loss. Landon is the oldest, at 10 years old, and he has typical hearing. Aiden is 8 and Sage is 4. Both Aiden and Sage have hearing loss and wear bilateral hearing aids. As a mom of children with hearing loss, Melissa is also a Phonak hero, where she has written articles to share her experience and support other parents and families navigating through hearing loss. Melissa, we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Elise and I work closely with you on a professional level, and it's so great to get to talk things through that we are working with our students on the podcast today. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thanks for having me. Before we jump into the main discussion, we like asking our guests to share a little something about themselves and their family. It could be anything, something cute, something funny, something heartwarming. Does anything come to mind?
2: Yeah, I was... Thinking about this question, because I hear it on all of our podcasts and our family, what we love to do is we love being active, and recently my husband, Matthew, coordinated a multi-family wiffle ball tournament game. Oh, fun. So it was super fun, we had a bunch of kids and a bunch of parents, and everyone was playing, and we had a great time. It was really fun.
0: That's fun. Is it like a neighborhood
2: Yeah, they were just really close family friends that we had in our neighborhood. Yeah.
0: Well, that sounds really fun.
2: And
1: that's
0: a different dynamic because
1: us being on our own and not having kids, you have to think of your whole family and who will be a good match for Landon, Aiden, Sage, but also the parents
2: (laughs) to mesh well with. Totally.
0: That sounds like a really fun summer activity. So I'm glad you get to do that.
1: All right, well, we're ready to jump into our discussion. Today, we're so lucky to have Melissa because not only is she a professional working with children with hearing loss, but is a parent of three very different children, all with very different journeys. Melissa, could you give us a little more background into your family?
2: So Landon is 10, and he's my child who's hearing, and he is a sensitive, thoughtful sweet guy Aiden is my eight-year-old he has hearing loss and he is my wild confident crazy adventurous child and Sage who also has hearing loss she is very sweet and sensitive and big emotions and loves to be all things girly and all things sporty. She wants to be just like her brothers. So for Sage and Aiden, my children with hearing loss, it's interesting. I think their hearing loss is actually very similar. If you look on an audiogram, it's maybe off by a couple decibels each, but their journeys have been really different. Aiden went immediately from early intervention services right into the mainstream schools and had a great experience and was very successful. He tested out a speech right at the beginning of kindergarten and is doing really great. And Sage is doing great too. Her journey is just a little different. So Sage, for her, it was great to have her at a school for Children with Hearing Loss, which she is here at Child's Voice, and she needs a little bit more support with her speech, and um, so that's kind of where we, what has led us to this place.
1: And for those listening, we had the chance to talk over Zoom with Aiden and his hearing itinerant, and that was a great experience to hear about how his mainstream is going and what his class looks like. We got to see a lot of videos from the itinerant, so that was amazing. And he seems like he is doing great advocating for himself and being out in his own. Do you think that's because he was in a typical mainstream preschool and had to figure that out more on his own?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think he did get more of throwing into the deep end and you're gonna sink or swim experience. And I would say yes, but I also think we're in a great school district, and hearing itinerants, I call them our angels, they really make mainstream possible. I don't think he would be able to be as successful as he is without them. Actually, I actually know that, mm-hmm. full-heartedly. So every one of his hearing itinerants has made such a difference for him. So that's a huge piece. He's had incredible teachers. So all of those pieces together, and I think his personality, hes just tends to be more comfortable in his own skin, which I think really helps and benefits him.
0: That's great to hear because I know some parents, especially that listen to this podcast or their kids are already here, they're really, really hesitant for that mainstream experience. And like you said, hearing itinerants are angels. I don't think we talk about that enough because they are kind of the guiding hand to walk you through as a parent, but also to guide your children through those obstacles to help them be more successful. They know everything about all the equipment. So it's really encouraging to hear that just because your son is in a mainstream classroom, they are still being supported in any need that they have related to hearing loss. So that's great.
1: So when Aiden was going through preschool, were you a professional in this field yet? Were you doing school counselor or was this all before?
2: So I wanted to be a school counselor back in high school. That was when my vision and dream was born. I was going through a tough experience in high school and I missed a lot of school. And I started falling behind in my classes and was really stressed out. And it was my school counselor that called me into her office and asked me what was going on and how she could support me. And I don't remember any advice that she gave, I just remember her listening to me sharing how I was feeling, and then she advocated for me. She supported me through it, and it made such an impact on me. And I looked at her and I said, how can I do what you're doing? And she told me, so she said, you first gotta get a degree in education. So that's what I did, and that was what pushed me into education. So I got my degree and then I had a couple positions where I got to work with students from preschool to high school. So I've worked with all different age students throughout my career. And then when Aiden, my second, was born, I decided to stay home for a couple years and give myself a chance to go back to school. So when Sage was five weeks old and was my first class of grad school. It was my vision and that was separate from my kids. So when Aiden was born, the hearing loss diagnosis was shocking. We had no idea, we didn't know anyone with hearing loss. We didn't know what we were doing and we didn't know what to expect. And there was a lot of questions and a lot of fear. Some of that fear robbed some joy and I felt, looking back, I felt really bummed by that. I didn't feel like it was necessary. I mean, I get that, yes, it's necessary. I felt like, yes, I had those feelings, but our experience is so much better than anything I could have ever imagined.
1: Like your feelings were valid, but you wish you took in more of the little moments and enjoyed it like you were able to do with Sage when you
2: were more relaxed. So when Sage was born, exactly, I felt like I'm going to do this different because... I know how amazing it's going to be. Like, it doesn't have to be a scary thing. And I knew a lot more. And I knew also what I needed. When Aiden was born, I felt very isolated and very alone. And I knew that for me to be a better mom and more healthy, that I needed to be around people who had experienced something similar. So that's what actually got me connected with Fonac. Phonak was through SAGE. They have a blog for people all over on the hearing loss world. They have a blog that's very inclusive. So I got connected with them and found little communities of support and it was definitely different with SAGE. So it was a very empowering experience with her.
0: Going back to what you said about how you had all three children and then you decided to go back to graduate school, you're super mom. I don't really understand how you could do that especially as, you know, I'm not a parent and I have a full-time job and I'm also going to grad school and I can barely keep my head on straight. So that's amazing to have a 5 week old. Yeah, right. that is Yes, but do you think having children with hearing loss, I know you said back in high school you were looking at being a school counselor and you kind of already knew that path, but do you think having children with hearing loss kind of solidified that dream or helped you realize you wanted to advocate for children with hearing loss Mm -hmm. through your school counselor position? Tell us a little bit about that and how did this come about and how did having children with hearing loss lead you to being the school counselor here at Child Choice?
2: So I think I always knew I wanted to be a school counselor. I wanted to support students That was never a question. I never envisioned myself working with children with hearing loss until I had SAGE and going through that experience and getting connected with Phonak, I started writing our story in little pieces, little blog posts on how we teach self-advocacy at home. And I didn't know that self-advocacy was a class at a school like Child's Voice, which it is. (laughs) And I co teach now with Elise. So I didn't know that that existed. And I had a different idea of what my career was gonna look like. And it was just kind of by chance that a position opened at Child's Voice. And I took it, I grabbed it, and it was a dream job for me. And I think a lot of those thoughts came out I loved being able to support other families. When I was writing with Phonak, I would get messages daily from parents all over the world looking for support, advice. Honestly, I think looking for someone to say, it's gonna be okay. Your child's gonna be okay. So I really wanted to be that voice. I really wanted to say, Listen, it's not just okay, it is amazing, it's amazing. The joy of watching what my kids are overcoming, I could not be prouder. So it was really a powerful thing and I experienced that through writing for Phonak. And so when Child's Voice had open position where that was a piece of the job description, I couldn't believe it. So it was never something I had envisioned, but it was exactly the right fit for me.
0: Well, and that kind of flows perfectly. You know, I was about to ask you, what is your favorite part? But I think you being so emotional just shows that you want to be that support. And I actually get to experience how amazing your child is firsthand, as I've had her and I'm lucky to be her teacher and I think you joining our Child's Voice team, while it's been so beneficial for our students, I know that you've really aimed to connect with those parents and to be that voice. I mean, you're on the Parent Association, you had that, and you're always calling and you're always checking in. And so I think that's quite an amazing piece to you that you've also had this experience with Phonak to talk through all of this with Families, and you brought that here. And that's something that we've kind of been missing. And it's been really cool to see that. So I'm very thankful you're a part of our team. And I would echo what you said these kids can do amazing things. It's not just going to be okay. So I really appreciate you, and I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> I think before we started this discussion, we, you said we have to look at the whole kid. That's a new perspective. We're so used to language, we're so used to speech, we're so used to social emotional, but you have a whole rounded approach as to how to look at the kids. And it definitely shows that you have experience and that's a passion of yours, especially when you involve the family because we always say it takes a community or a team. That's like the core of your philosophy.
1: So as a parent of children with hearing loss, you went through that grief process that you talked a little bit about when you got the diagnosis of both Aiden and Sage. This is an area that we don't always talk about as professionals. Can you talk a little bit more about how that grief process was for you?
2: Yeah. When Aiden was born, we just were clueless. We knew nothing. It felt like, what is an audiogram? What does this mean for my kid? You're just trying to learn as much as you can, which is mild versus moderate versus severe versus profound. Why doesn't my kid qualify for a cochlear implant? The deaf community, Lowercase d is so vast, and there's so many components to it. There's a lot of learning, and it was really overwhelming. And I think that was isolating of itself. Like, How could I explain to my parents what was happening when I didn't even really know? And it's not just me that's grieving. It is my parents. It's my siblings. It's everyone trying to support us and not knowing how to support us. There's feeling a lot of those unknowns. I think there's just a level of grief in that this isn't what I expected. This isn't how I envisioned what my child would be like. Feeling guilt about that and trying to reconcile that, trying to be honest with myself. Here I had this beautiful, healthy baby boy in my arms, and I felt... There's shame in there, like, did I do something? What did I do wrong? There's all of those pieces that played into some deep and dark emotions, which I think is part of that grief. And some of it is valid and some of it was not valid. And I had to shift through to find truth. And I know this is maybe cheesy, but, the Mumford and Sons song where he has a line that says, keep the earth below my feet. And I felt like that was my song of that season is I felt like I could get floating away into worry and fear and whatever. And I had to bring myself back down to reality and be grounded, like keep me down because it could be easy to float away in fear and worry. So that was a really difficult part, but I think the grief was different with Sage. I don't think I felt it in that same intensity. And to me, when Sage was born, it was a choice. I could go back there into that place, or I could choose to be empowered by the experience. And that's what I chose to do. And that was very healing for me to do it differently with her. And I really just valued that experience that I had. And I think that helps. And it doesn't ever really go away. The grief flows a little bit. Sometimes it's there in the background. And sometimes it comes back in the forefront. And then it's just naming it, processing it, talking. I went to therapy. I went to my family. I made sure I was surrounded by friends. I got in a mom's group. I was going to do whatever it took to support me and my family because I also knew that if I didn't work through my stuff my kids are gonna feel it they are going to internalize what I was experiencing the shame I was experiencing I did not want them experiencing that so I knew I had to work through my stuff so that they didn't have to take on unnecessary pain
0: that is so powerful that you said that because I do think sometimes especially our kids, we see, quote, they can't hear much or they get told that or people think that they pick up on a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think they sometimes pick up on when kids can't understand them, like, or if a parent isn't as happy with the situation, I think our kids are very sensitive to that. And I think that's so powerful that you wanted to feel safe and you wanted to feel empowered by that so your kids could see through that. And I know that we mentioned there's cycles of grief and we'll kind of touch on that. But I think that's really important that you have to kind of solidify where you're at at first and then you'll kind of get through the rest of it because nobody knows what's to come. Mm -hmm. So I think that's awesome that you did that.
1: And it sounds like that experience ties into this favorite part of your job Mm -hmm. connecting with your community and parents that have like experiences and are going through the same thing maybe ahead of you or behind you. Is there anything that you would like to say to parents that are starting the grief process as their children maybe begin to start school and might not be meeting milestones of their siblings or their other peers?
2: Every person, every parent, moms and dads and children all are going to experience it in their own unique way And I think it's important just to be honest and name the emotions you are feeling. That's essentially what I teach on a daily basis is naming, coping with your emotions. But as parents, we have to do that. And when we name our emotion or name the experience that we're having, that allows us to take the next step to figure out what we need to help that process. So I think about any new parents that are newly diagnosed and that are listening and they're just looking for someone that has experienced something that they've experienced, that there is a community out there and you have to look for it and you have to be open to that. So I I would encourage parents to get a support system, even if it's not within the hearing loss community, but having a support system is so important and being honest. And if you need to get support, like therapy, that can be really powerful for parents. And I said this earlier, but if I could tell any parent that is just diagnosed or they're just beginning this journey, I just would wanna like wrap my arms around them and hug them and tell them it's going to be okay. It's going to be great.
0: Even as a teacher, you look at a student and you worry about where will they be in a year or I'm not doing enough because of X, Y, Z. And so I think it's really important that you brought up having a support system, whether that's a mom Facebook group, whether it's you as a school counselor stepping in and having those conversations. I think just finding that, even as a teacher, I need to have other teachers around me that can say, you're doing a great job. So finding that support can really, really make all the difference. It can make or break.
2: I think of Frozen 2 when Anna says, you just have to do the next right thing. And I would say that to newly diagnosed families like just do the next right thing I got so caught up with are they going to get married you're like 20 years down the line and what is school going to be like will they be bullied are they going to fit in will they be able to share and express like you have all of these huge fears but in the moment you have a three-month-old baby that's what you have right there like just do the next right thing now those things work themselves out you don't have to worry about them today
0: that's a wonderful reminder everybody needs that it's one step at a time it's one foot in front of the other
1: and you're growing with them Mm -hmm. so they understand that you're growing you understand that they're growing and it's not the big jump of you have a newborn your newborn can't walk yet they're not walking away from you you can focus on Mm -hmm. that and then go to the next stage that's what we say all the time with teaching, take it one day at a time. You might need to take it one minute at a time until you can
0: last an hour at a time. We talked about going to school can start the grief process or as your child goes into school and you said, well, can they share, are they sharing emotions, etc.? And you said also that you focus a lot on naming those emotions and we see it day in and day out. You're in Miss Robin's room teaching emotions. You're with Elise working on that. A while back, we did an episode on theory of mind with Landon Lacey, and she talked a lot about naming those emotions as part of typical development. And so you expressed as a new parent, newly diagnosed, you didn't know what that would look like for them. So why is it so important to name these emotions that the children are going through? Why is that such an important step to get them more socially competent?
2: When you name emotions, for yourself as well as your children, teaching them, it's the first step in being able to self-regulate. So when you think about these big emotions that all of us experience and have, when we can name it, it becomes more manageable. At Child's Voice, we talk a lot about the zones of regulation and part of the zones is to help us identify what we're feeling so that we can find the appropriate coping skill. There's an author, Dan Siegel, author of Whole Brain Child, and he came up with the term name it to tame it, which is the idea of the importance of naming that emotion and what it does and the impact it has on our kids. There's a lot of research that goes with it. One key study that was done was they found that you have this intense anger. If you feel angry and you have someone that pushes it away, it doesn't necessarily diminish the anger. In fact, it can make it continue or you find a different way of dealing it with maybe in unhealthy ways. So when we name the anger, what they were noticing is that the feeling of anger is gonna be in the amygdala part of our brain, which is our feeling parts of our brain. And when you name the feeling, you are activating the prefrontal cortex, which is like a left and right brain, more balanced, and you're diminishing the amygdala a little bit. You're not taking the amygdala away. You're not trying to take the emotion away. You're just trying to have more balance, which then allows you to manage the emotion. So this is important for every child and every human being out there, is knowing how to name the feeling and then figure out how to regulate that the key part of our social development which is theory of mind and you know dealing with disappointment and all of those pieces help with learning too it develops our kids emotional vocabulary and so when you think about and I knew this for Sage when she was one she was feeling embarrassment oh my gosh my one-year-old like It seems like such a complex emotion. And I remember being like, how do I name this for her? She's feeling this complex emotion. Just because our kids have hearing loss and they can't say what the word is, doesn't mean they're not feeling something that word is.
0: I totally understand and feel very strongly about where you're coming because I know a lot of people will say our kids aren't there yet or they don't have that language but we're also taught as teachers and Elise you went through too is to scaffold that language. And just because they can't name it doesn't mean they can't feel it. Maybe they're saying, I feel mad. I'm like, well, no, you're feeling frustrated because of X, Y, and Z. And I know that Landon talked about too, having that emotional vocabulary. She has a whole list of really when your kid starts talking about being mad, start introducing, you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling angry. Because you're right, every child has the right to be able to name that emotion, to feel that emotion. So we need to give them the language to do that. Yes.
1: And I think sometimes as teachers or professionals or parents, we feel maybe uncomfortable with talking about the Mm -hmm. emotions. And you do sometimes think if we bring attention to it, if we talk Mm -hmm. about it, if we really harp on it or whatever it may be, that it's going to get bigger. The child is going to feel it more. It might snowball into a bigger issue, but name it to tame it is such a great Thing to remember, you can move it to one part of your brain and try to use both sides that are balanced. So you feel the emotion, you talk about it, and you can move through it. The zones of regulation, the talking about the emotions out loud and finding the zone that you're in. I participate in the Mm -hmm. zone, the feeling check-in and the zones of regulation. And that was something new to me that I was not realizing. I'm in the yellow zone. I'm frustrated and irritated and I don't know why, but that's okay. And it's it's helped me get more aligned and back to the green zone or just back to feeling like I can deal with
0: what I need to deal with. Sorry. It's been really helpful for me too. Can you do like a quick explanation of what the zones are? Because we're familiar and I'm like, oh, I hear you say green zone, yellow zone, but maybe some of our listeners don't know.
2: Yeah, so the zones of regulation are a way of essentially categorizing emotions. So the green zone is our goal. We want to be in the green zone. We're ready to learn. And so we are focused. Our eyes are on the teacher. We're feeling good. We're feeling calm. We're feeling in control of our bodies. And sometimes, and not at the fault of anyone, we get a headache. We have a tummy ache we have to go to the bathroom. Things come in through the day, so we do a, a lot of mindfulness with our students too on how to be aware of our bodies so that we can recognize, wait a second, I'm wiggly, I'm uncomfortable. When you're wiggly uncomfortable because you have to go to the bathroom and your tummy hurts, you're not necessarily focusing on what your is saying and then you're not learning, right? So if our goal is learning, we want our kids to maximize learning. You wanna teach them themselves how to be aware of their own bodies so that they can recognize when they need to cope in some way. I'm going to be aware that my tummy hurts. Why is my tummy hurting? Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, wait, I might be sick.
1: Or sometimes I'm feeling worried and And anxious and nervous about something. something.
2: Exactly. And so then you might be in the yellow zone are worried or even silly like when you're so silly you can't focus you're so excited you're can't stop thinking about the date after school so you're not focusing on what's happening it's where your mind is at so we'll say oh you're in the yellow zone or you might be in the blue zone which is sad or hurt or tired and you're moving slow like a snail so you might be in the blue zone or our red zone is our anger frustration you're taking out your anger with your body and all the yellow the red and the blue are when we are not in a place of learning so we want to be able to name that recognize that so that we can then have coping skills that are appropriate so when you're tired what you would do to cope with your tiredness is not going to necessarily be the same you would do if you're feeling silly and you can't settle down so you want to then be mindful of the coping skill you choose
0: that was a really good way to describe it for our listeners if you want to look more into the zones of regulation Mm -hmm. this is also something you can do at your home Mm -hmm. so i know we really didn't get into attachment or what you can do at home but naming those emotions and being able to say, I'm in the yellow zone, how can we fix this? I'm in the red zone, how can we deal with this in a healthier way? That was a great way to tell everyone, this is a really simple way to name these emotions and to work from there. At school, we've
1: been talking about building our toolbox and what helps you if you're sad. You might listen to music, you might read a book, you might color in your journal, draw a picture, express yourself. Are there any suggestions on how to build some of these social-emotional skills at home that kids can do with their
2: parents? One of the things I really emphasized over remote learning with parents and families is to, and it can be super simple, build a calming corner or calming space at home and i can send a link on the description and what that could look like but a calming center at home is great i put up our feelings like pictures and calming strategies and even having the zones of regulation up there as a way of just continuing to build that vocabulary giving a safe place to have those emotions i mean everybody gets angry it's One of our Kamochi phrases is, it's okay to be mad. It's not okay to be mean. And so how do we make sure that we have that emotion that we're experiencing without hurting ourselves or others through that emotion? So calm down corners are great. And I think for parents, learning to be okay with their own feelings and their own emotions and learning to reframe some things is something I had to do, I had to do some unlearning. It was really easy for me to say as a parent, you're okay, you're okay, you're fine. And they're like screaming and they're like, I'm not fine, I'm not fine. And so finding other ways that to me, I see you, I see you, you're sad, you're hurting, I'm here. I'm here and I started retraining the way that I soothed my child with my words because it might feel soothing to hear you're okay and that might work sometimes but it's really helpful for a child to know that they are being understood and that can help even that de-escalating emotion a couple ones I can see this is hard for you if this child's feeling frustrated and see this is hard for you I care about how you feel okay to be angry I will stay with you I'm here for you I liked this one is even when you're at your worst I still love you I love you even when you're struggling I love you these emotions are okay so I think working and thinking through those are things that parents can do at home well
0: that was a beautiful beautiful way to end on that note because Even though you're at your worst, I love you is something that we all benefit from. Mm -hmm. As an adult, I would love to hear Mm -hmm. that, even in my worst moments. So thank you so much for everything that you said today. We are so lucky to have had you. And thank you for joining us on another episode of All Ears at Child's Voice. Be sure to join us for our next episode. We release episodes once monthly.
1: You can follow us and this
0: podcast on Instagram with the handle at Child's Voice Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us an email at podcast at childsvoice.org. And you can find episodes, show notes, and archived episodes at our Child's Voice website, childsvoice.org.
1: And if you're interested in learning more about Child's Voice, we are on Facebook as well as Twitter with the handle at childs underscore voice, no apostrophe.
0: Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 And that's all be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen so you don't miss any episodes if you are interested in supporting child's voice in the programs like this one please visit us at child'svoice.org and click on the donate now button Thanks for listening bye, bye. bye. Hey, for